morning. Uh, we are continuing our series called The Walk, and we're going to focus in on this really critical idea. I think you've kind of picked up on the theme. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. And if you have your Bible with you, I hope you do, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we will be hanging out in chapter 6, which is where we see the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the disciples were, were asking about this at certain times, you know, teach us how to pray. Uh, and, and, and here's an idea that Jesus dives into and says, okay, here, here's what I want you to think about when you pray. And we're going to unpack this idea. But what we have to recognize is that prayer is a really good indicator of our spiritual health. Yet at the same time, it can be one of the most um, disorganized and, and fragmented and neglected things that the Christian ever actually does. There's a lot of mystery around prayer. There's a lot of misconception uh, when you start to think about what is prayer and why should you pray. And so I want to unpack that idea this morning. We're going to glean from what we see here in the model of, of Christ's prayer, the Lord's prayer. Um, and we're going to glean from those ideas that are found there, but also just explore the topic of prayer a little bit more gen generally, a little bit more broadly, so that we can pull a couple of different things and apply them uh, to our own spiritual discipline of prayer. And, and one of the things I want you to have in your mind as we get started is, is that we lie to ourselves about who we are. Okay, I want to start with that premise. Each and every one of us lies to ourselves about who we are. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but um, it's a good saying, and I like to keep it in front of my mind. I actually picked it up from D.A. Carson, and he says he got it from someone else. But the idea is, is that we aren't who we think we are. Or you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You know, we always think we're something great. We always think we're better than we actually are, but you're not. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. What's always on your mind dictates who you are. And so when we start to talk about this idea of our lying to ourselves, this, this impacts prayer. But I, I want to argue that prayer forces us to take a spiritual inventory, to take spiritual notes, to set goals, and to see God move through focused prayer. And, 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 and what we ought to be striving for is this white, hot, private prayer life. Um, and so I want to ask you, can you say that your prayers are these kinds of prayers? Can you say that your prayers are these kinds of prayers? And most of us would humbly and honestly say no. And I tell you right straight off when we get going here, I don't think there's anyone who can say all of the time my prayer life is great. I can't sit up here and say that every day my prayer life is white, hot, burning, and an example for all of you to follow. But here's the struggle. It is a very good indicator of our spiritual health. And I want to unpack some ideas around that this morning because it's such a critical thing for us as we commune with the Lord. Uh, it's one of the most important things that a Christian can do, as I said, though, yet it is often one of the most feeble and disorganized things that we actually do. So let's unpack that a little bit this morning. And the major doctrine that I wanted to defend is that through our prayers, God exposes our true desires and leads us into a deeper knowledge of, of Him and who we are in him. Through our prayers, God exposes our true desires, leading us to a deeper knowledge of him and who we are in him. And we're going to make three stops this morning. We're going to take a look at what is prayer. We're also going to look at how do we pray, and then we're going to end with why do we pray. So what is prayer, how do we do it, and why should we do it? So those are kind of the three stops that we will make. But as we get going, I want to put this, this kind of this attention statement, if you will, in your mind before we get into our scripture. And it comes from uh, a pastor who, who died 
before he was even 30, but he's so brilliant and so gifted by the Lord and such great incredible insight. His name is Robert Murray Machine. But he said this, he says, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. I want that to be in your heart and your mind as we get going this morning and start to unpack this scripture and talk more broadly and more generally about this important spiritual discipline of prayer. So if you will, stand with me and we will get into our actual scripture this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we will begin um, actually in verse 5 and we'll go through verse 14. So Jesus is speaking here and he says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So let's stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus is unpacking this idea here of what does it look like to pray. And he gives us a model prayer there. Um, and, and we're going to glean from this. And, and I want to start with this idea of what is prayer. Because I think that there's a lot of confusion around what prayer is. And, and I think that a lot of Christians, if you, if you did a really broad survey and you said, what is prayer? I think you get a lot of different answers. I think even if we surveyed this room, perhaps we'd get a lot of different answers if I ask you, what is prayer? We have some different opinions on that. So I want to clarify and unpack this idea of what prayer is. And the first concept I want to unpack is this idea that prayer is a dialogue, at times private and at times corporate. Prayer is a dialogue. That means it's like a conversation that goes two ways. You know, there's a difference between a dialogue and a monologue. A monologue is only one-way communication. A dialogue, meaning two, goes both ways. So what we have to look at is when we look at prayer, prayer is a dialogue, and at times it's private, and at times it's corporate. So we've got to recognize that. But one of the things that we've got to look at when we start to look at prayer and I think it's a common misconception that we have to stop and, and question, is that prayer is just us saying things to God. That's the first misconception that we've got to address. If that's how we come up uh, to, to pray, we are missing it. Because God isn't sitting up in heaven and saying, man, I really wish I knew what was on their hearts. I really wish I knew what they needed help with. I really wish I knew what was going on in their life. If only someone would tell me but I just don't know. That's, that's that one-sided look as if we're looking at prayer as only informing God about something. And that's, that's not quite right. So when we start to look at that uh, from that perspective, the philosopher Immanuel Kant's statement starts to make sense. He says, what's the use in telling someone something that they already know? If God is omniscient, he knows everything, then what's the point in telling him anything? Why should you pray? Well, if that's the way you approach prayer, is, is as if you're the only one informing God, God is waiting for you to inform him, then Immanuel Kant's statement makes sense. What is the point in which we're talking to God only by telling him something? 
he's not waiting for more information to come in. He's already got the picture. So what is it? Well, it's a dialogue. And so I think that one of the things we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we have time to hear from God. Prayer can't be one-sided. It cannot be our speaking without our listening. My father used to always tell me as a kid, um, you can't listen while you're talking. Maybe your dad told you that too, or maybe your mom told you that. It's impossible to listen while you're speaking. So shh, hang on, shut your mouth for a minute, and listen to what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know about you, but that's something that we have to practice in our homes. It's, it's just, nope, stop and listen. Now, tell me what I said to you. Nope. Let's try it again. Here's the information. Give it back to me. Yep, you got it this time. It's impossible to hear clearly if you're busy speaking. So sometimes that's what we do with prayer. We say, okay, I'm going to pray now. Here we go. Done. Gone. And you're on about your business. There's no time set aside to actually hear from God. And that is a monologue. That's simply as if we're sitting, you know, sending information up, but never actually pausing to hear from God and what God would say to us. And so in order for us to have true prayer, I believe that we've got to have time to listen for God to speak. That allows um, for him to speak to us, to respond to us. And, and I want to put this on the screen. True prayer cannot be void of listening for God to speak. He wants us to feel that land between. In between our asking and his answering, there's this land between. And, and sometimes when we, when we go to prayer, we think that, you know what, um, probably God's not really going to answer this, so I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to say it once, and I'm going to move on. That's one way, and I think it's an, an, an immature way to approach prayer. Another way is to just, just to, to pray and say, well, he's got it from here. Nothing else needs to be done. And sometimes we even pray, and we pray, and then we think, okay, let's see how God will answer this. And we actually do look for him to actually respond to our prayer, to answer our prayer. But do you know what sometimes happens? Is that there's a long time in between our asking and his answering. And that's the time that, that I like to refer to as the meantime. Um, I read two books on prayer uh, a couple of years ago, one by J.I. Packer and one by Timothy Keller. And it, it was really insightful. And they, they, they really unpack some beautiful truths that, I, that I'm going to share in part this morning. But one of the things that during that time as I was wrestling and trying to learn what prayer is in a deeper way, this concept of the meantime was something that just kept coming up to me. And I want to put that in your heart and in your mind because there is this meantime. So an element of prayer is the meantime. And this is in between our asking and God's answering is the meantime. And it's just like our, our common understanding of the word, the meantime, the time in the middle. In between our asking and God's answering is the meantime. And I believe that God wants us to, sh- to learn during that time. And I can think back, you know, um, all sorts of times in my own life of the meantime. But just think in Scripture. You know, one of the clearest examples is Nehemiah. What happened with Nehemiah? Well, he got word that something was happening in his town, and he wanted to do something about it, and he prayed. But several months went by until the prayer was answered, until he finally had so much sadness on his face that he stands before the king, and the king says, why are you so down? And then he has the opportunity to speak. But I believe in that meantime for Nehemiah, God was asking his own questions, It wasn't a Nehemiah-type thing that he could just pray once and it was gone. This was a continuation. There was a meantime in between his asking and God's answering was a time for searching and growing and learning. And we've got to recognize that that's part of what true prayer entails is this time in between our asking and God's answering, a time for learning and a time for listening. 
We're all about instant results in our culture. We are all about instant gratification. And when we take that kind of concept to prayer, we miss it. Because if we're expecting God to answer right now, he doesn't work on our terms. It is quite possible in between our asking and his answering, he has a lot of things to show us. How do you know you're even asking for the right things? So we'll talk through that a little bit, but just have this in your mind because I believe that our private meantime must be intentional and productive because we, when we have private prayers, private prayers are what fuel public prayers. And when I say public or corporate, I'm not saying someone who stands up in front of everybody and prays. That's one way to think about it. But what we should have is private white-hot prayers that are informing our corporate prayers. Corporate meaning when we as a congregation are praying for the same things. We are all asking God to lead us in the same ways. And that could be very specific things. Maybe it's, Lord, we want to be a light in this community. We want to serve this community well. We want to share the gospel in this community. That's corporate prayer stuff. But you can't have effective corporate prayers unless that's, that's coming out of your white hot private prayers. Privately. Are we in our own secret time with the Lord praying those prayers? Because if you're only wanting those prayers to be the types of prayers you pray corporately, but not privately, there's a weakness in that. And what has been shown in church history is that white-hot private prayer bloomed into a community of spiritual revival. Every revival that ever broke out, if you dig deep into it, you see white-hot private prayer fueling that. So if we ever want to see revival, we first have to start with white-hot private prayer. Looking to the Lord privately. And I love what J.I. Packer says. He's a well-known, admired theologian and author. Um, He says, when we are asking, God is asking questions about our asking. One, why do you ask for this? Why do you ask for this? And maybe another thing is, how serious does this matter to you and how deep does your concern go? Or, or God might ask, why do you think that what you're asking for is in line with my will? Have you ever thought about that? When we ask, God also can ask about our asking. Why do you want this? How deep does your concern go? And do you think that this is in line with my will? Or would something other than this precise thing you are now requesting satisfy you equally? Tell me. Imagine God asking you about your asking. In that meantime, between you ask him and when he answers, consider this. He's asking you about your asking. Because you know what we show when we pray a prayer once and we forget it, we leave it and we walk on? We show that our our interest isn't that deep. If you have someone who's about to die and you only pray for them once and say, oh, go on about my business, it would show that your concern for their life doesn't go very deep, does it? But when you want something terribly bad, what do you do? Do you ask once and forget it? No, you continue to pray for it. You continue to plead your case before the Lord. And so we've got to stop and zoom zoom out a little bit and say, okay, God, this is what I believe is your will. But if something other that is more in line with your will is truly it, then I'm willing to go that route. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But here's the thing. In between our asking and God's answering is the meantime, he is asking his own questions. And I want us to think about that. In between our asking and his answering, God is asking his own questions. I love what Packer goes on. He says, he says, we can be sure that God checks up on us. He checks up on our Christ-like Holy Spirit wisdom. 
and he looks and rejoices to see this. God checks up on our focus, how far our faith, repentance, love, humility, and wisdom have combined to make us clear-sighted about our goal in life. And this is the great reminder and challenge that our prayer is communication, but it also, as, as our major doctrine ex- says, it exposes our greatest desires. You may think that you really want something else, but the way you pray and what you pray for truly does expose your desires. So prayer is a kind of searching. God will ask us about our asking as he checks up on us. And I want us, I'll put this on the screen. When we are searched by God, he peels back our perceived wisdom, our misaligned goals and ambitions, and reveals to us what really matters in life, a knowledge of him and obedience to his call. Nothing else will truly satisfy us. We can ask for all the different things in the world, but that is the only thing that truly matters. And sometimes we go to the, we go to the prayer room as, as if we've got it all figured out, and all we're, we're really doing is saying, hey, now all i got to do is inform God about my perfect plan that I put together. But what actually happens is God peels back the layers of our perceived wisdom. That he looks at us and says, do you really believe that's in line with my will? Do you really believe that that's the best thing? And maybe we're right. But what we have to do is we have to literally say to God, this is what I desire. This is where I am, and I truly believe that this is in line with your will. And not only do I believe it's in line with your will, here's why I believe it's in line with your will. And when you can truly articulate that, now you're talking. Now you're talking with the Lord. But here's the next step. Don't leave it there. Say to God, if you will something other than what I've asked for, that's what I really want to happen. Can you do that? That's hard. And I can tell you in our personal life, there's been a lot, of, a lot of examples of that where we have been praying for certain cases to go certain ways, certain things to end up in certain ways, and at the same time literally saying to God, here's what we believe is best. Here's what we believe is in line with your will. Swallow hard. But if there's something other than exactly that that you actually desire, may that be what happens. May your will actually be what is done. Here's what I believe your will is, but if I'm wrong, because you know what? We can be wrong. Why? Because God doesn't reveal all of the plan to us. Sometimes what he shows us is the very next step, and that's it. That's all we can see. So much of his will remains hidden from us. So that means that when we come to him in prayer, we have to have a certain amount of humility to say, here's what I believe is your will, but if it's not your will, whatever is your will, I pray for that to happen. I pray for that to be reality. And so we've got to come to prayer from this perspective Because this is exactly what it means to be a Christian, to literally say to God, not my will, but your will be done. So what is prayer? Prayer is communication. It's a dialogue. It's two-way transmission. Prayer means having time to stop and listen to God. It's just not giving him information. But prayer is also a time of searching, a time of listening, and a time of learning. That's what prayer is. Well, how do we pray? I want to turn to this. We see here when, when Jesus says, he gives us some insight. He says, and when you pray, so it's almost as if Jesus is starting from the assumption that you know what prayer is. So we gave a kind of a little background right there, real quick background of, of what prayer is in a nutshell. But here let's talk about how do we pray. So Jesus gives us some insight. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
So this is a form of public prayer, but it's kind of the bad form of public prayer, isn't it? He's, he's saying, here's what not to do. Don't get up in front of everybody and make a big scene of your prayers as if to get a recognition or reward from your fellow man. That doesn't impress God. God isn't impressed by how many likes you got on your public prayer, right? Uh, it's, it's like, let me post this big prayer online and see how many people love it. Because that, and now you can pray online. I'm not saying anything against that. But if that's your motivation to look at how spiritual I am. Have you, ever, have you ever heard a prayer like that or seen a prayer like that? And you read it and you think, oh man, maybe that was you. Maybe you get on your Facebook feed. It's like 10 years ago, it flashed back up and you got this public prayer. And you're like, oh gosh. Right, Because the reality is that we grow, and part of what we grow in is spiritual maturity and recognizing that we don't need the kudos from man. What we need is to be in communion with our Father. So he's, he's addressing this issue of, from the heart, what do you desire? Do you desire praise from people through your prayers, or do you desire a reward from your Father? So he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. There's hypocrisy in this. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So this is a beautiful idea um, that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. How do you do it? Well, one of the things that I've learned throughout the years, and I believe it's, it, it's, it's, it's from scripture, is that we have to prepare for it. How do you pray? Prepare for it. And you might think, well, that sounds a little mechanical. Well, maybe you can turn just about anything into to a mechanical, heartless thing. If all you do is recite the Lord's Prayer mechanically, that's not a good idea. But you know what effective prayer Starts, starts as is, is prepared prayer. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to argue that, that this, is, this is something that Jesus would recommend. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Well, what does that mean? Well, surely that can mean just going in, at the, uh, shooting from the hip and just, just having a true, genuine conversation with the Father, nothing prepared. I'm not saying that that's not possible. That is absolutely possible. But here's some insight that I've learned um, that, 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 is, that is beautiful, is that when we actually, throughout our day, are taking note of the things that we would like to talk to the Father about in secret, when you do have that set-aside time, Man, it's sweet. Because you're, you're, you're literally thinking, I can't wait till I sit down. Now, Father, I pray as I'm going. I, I, I have this. This is something on my heart. But I don't have the full time right now to stop everything I'm doing and really devote attention to this. But what I can do is take a mental note of it, of when tonight or later today, when I've got 10 minutes and I really can get in my quiet spot, I want to talk to you about this. Here, I'm shooting it up real quick, but I want to talk to you. I want to wrestle. Because you know what? If we're only doing those drive-by prayers where we're shooting up, hey, here's a concern to me, but you don't actually have time to pause and wrestle with the Lord and hear from him, it's back to the monologue. It's back to a monologue. So I believe that part of what we can do when we pray it effectively is to prepare for it. How? As Jesus says, when you pray, go into your, into your room and shut the door. So he's saying, go somewhere in private, set, up, set aside time for it, 
but I want to argue, plan ahead some of the things that you'd like to cover. You know, uh, one of the things that I've benefited from personally is having a prayer log. On my phone, um, for years I've kept a prayer log, and I haven't been as consistent lately. I'll just admit that. But I've, I've seen great value in that. As I'm going throughout the day, I just list some things as they come up in my heart. One of the things that, that's kind of in me, it's like, uh, it's, it's like this idea of, I want to see how you work this out, God. I want to see you move in this. So I don't want to say it once and let it go. I'm going to write this down. And I'm going to come back to it because I believe you're going to respond. How? I don't know. But it's beautiful. I can tell you many times, like, I have several different examples in my mind where I can think through of, 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 of going and saying, God, I'm about to step into this meeting, and I know it's going to be hard, and I know it's going to be tense. And I write that down. And I said, but God, I'm expecting you to move, and I want to see how you move in this. And then afterwards, coming back to my prayer log and noting how God, how God was there through that. And I tell you, those are the things that build your faith. Because the next time that you're in another challenging situation, you can reflect back on the ways in, God, way, ways in which God was with you and delivered you. And it builds your faith. But what, what we see here is, is that Jesus says here, he says, don't be like these people. What? In verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What the point is here is, is that when we have some things planned out, when we're intentional with our prayers, we're not just sitting there babbling and rambling, as if the more things we throw out, the better. Because actually, I think the Lord's Prayer is a model for, for, for brevity and sincerity. Jesus isn't saying, here, here's my 2,500-word count prayer. He's saying, here's a short one that gets really to the point, but it's sincere. But when you pray, don't ramble on as if more words means God's going to hear you. That's not the point. But one of the things that I think that is, is beautiful is if we can take note of the things that make us sigh throughout the day. You might say, what do I pray for? Well, there's a lot of different things that you can pray for. But one of the things that I've, that I've found helpful is take note of the things that make you sigh throughout the day. Because you know what? Things that make us sigh that we don't take to the Lord in prayer turn into other things later. They can turn into stress. They can turn into fear. They can turn into mistrust. They can turn into all sorts of crazy things. What we should be quick to do is to say, Lord, this is what I want to take to you because I don't see it and I don't know how this is all going to work out. Now, I'm preaching this from the perspective of us asking the Lord for help. There's many different ways that you can approach prayer, and we'll explore some of these other ones in just a second. But part of that is take note of the things that make you sigh throughout the day. Then when you go into your secret place and your quiet time and you pray with the Lord, and then you're waiting in the meantime, listening and learning, what we, what we should do is we should look for the ways God answered our prayers after the meantime. And, and, and I want you to reflect on prayers that you prayed, how did God answer your prayers? I don't, I don't want you to, to take too much time right now, but, but, but visit that. Reflect back on the prayers that you have prayed, and I want you to think about how has God answered those prayers. And maybe what you might find out when you do a little inventory is that you haven't been diligent to actually follow up. You said a prayer, shot it like an arrow into the sky and walked away the other direction. I don't know where it landed. I don't know what happened with it. But what we should do is we should ask God, we should pray to God expecting that he'll answer. 
Now, he might not answer the exact way in which you expect. I, I, love, I love what uh, I believe it was Keller who said that, that God answers our prayers as if we would have asked what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. Now, that's a lot of words. God sometimes answers our prayers as if we would have asked what we would have asked for if we know what he knows. Isn't that true? If you had the perfect mind of God, what would you ask for? (laughs) The right stuff, wouldn't you? So if God's going to answer your prayers, be sure that he's going to answer the prayers in a way that align with his will, that are going to align with his plan. Now, here's the other end, is you can go and say, well, all is all is predetermined. There's no point in praying. God's going to do what he's going to do. We'll address that here in just a second. But take time to look for ways in which God has answered our prayers after the meantime. Reflect on this. Just take time to stop and recognize the way God answered your prayers because it's a shame to pray for something and to lose interest in it and then to miss the way in which God responded. It is a shame to do that. So we have this idea here. Prayer is a dialogue, it's a two-way communication. Part of what we do when we pray is we, we actually recognize that we need to have time for God to, to respond to us. We need to have time to listen to God. But we also recognize that sometimes there's a meantime in between our asking and God's answering is the meantime. And during that time, God's asking about our asking. God is saying, how important is this to you? And we recognize that his will hasn't been perfectly revealed to us. So while we're praying, we pray, this is, if this is your will, let it be so. But whatever is your will, that's what I pray for. So how do we pray? Well, part of it is we pray um, intentional prayers. We set aside time to actually meet with the Father. And it's good to prepare some of the things that we'd like to cover with the Father when we were alone. And not feel like we've got to talk about a million different things. But pray sincerely, but then reflect back on the ways in which God has answered your prayers. I want to lead you through a little acronym that's been helpful for me when we unpack this idea of of how to pray. The acronym is ACTS. You can write down A-C-T-S. The first one is admiration. Spend time admiring God. You know what? Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes when we go straight to prayer, we go straight to either asking God for things or even straight to thanking God for things. But what we ought to be doing is taking time to just admire God for who he is. A, admire. God, you're beautiful. You're holy. You're righteous. You're worthy. And I believe that that's what we see here when Jesus starts to say this in his, his opening here. Our Father in heaven, you are here, I am here. Holy be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? He's not asking him for anything. He's not thanking him for anything. He's simply admiring who he is. Admire God. Take time to first just spend a few minutes admiring God. But then to see, confess. Confession. Tell God exactly where you went wrong. I'll tell you, that's a life changer and one of the hardest things you will ever do. When you actually go into your prayers to confess your sins, don't just say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Stop and say, God, here's what I did wrong, and here's exactly how I went wrong. That's tough. Because you know what it does? is It really points you to the fact that you know the fight that you are in, and you know how the then next ask for help in that. 
It's no longer I'm blind and I don't know really what's happening here. It's no, Father, I need your help in this. And it's exactly where I went wrong and I don't want to be this person. I want to be holy as you are holy. Help me. So admire, then confess your sins, but then follow it up with thanksgiving. First, thank God for redemption and good gifts. I believe after you confess, it's good to thank God for the gospel. <laughs> confess your sins and thank God for the gospel. But also thank him for the good gifts that he's done. But I want to I back up real quick. A couple of scriptures, write them down. We don't have time to unpack them. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. And this confession idea says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So maybe your prayer is not being answered because you haven't been confessing your sins. The scripture literally says that. Here's another one. A very, very good quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will kill sin, or sin will choke out prayer. Another one to think about. Thanksgiving. Thank God. I love from the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, we're Baptists, so we don't necessarily hold to that, even though our, our London Baptist Confession is very similar, and they share a lot of things. It says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I believe enjoying God includes heartfelt contentment for his loving provision. So part of our prayer should be reflecting on God's loving provision and be thankful for that. And I believe that this is part of when we say, give us our daily bread, this is, this is part of it. It's not just the asking, but it's being thankful that he does, because he does. But then this whole idea of, of confessing our sins, that's what we do when we, we ask God to forgive us our sins but then also recognizing that we are to forgive others. But here's, an, here's the last one. So we admire God, we confess, and we thanksgiving, and then we supplicate. We pray for things, we ask for things. Ask knowing that our supplication will be tested. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things, but know that your asking will be asked about. God will say, how do you think that this aligns with my will? I can remember as a, as a young boy, um, wrestling with an answer that a, a kid gave me in fourth grade. We were in fourth grade, and I wasn't, I wasn't quite the polished apologist at that point. And he said, well, I don't believe in God because I asked for a new Nintendo, and he didn't give it to me. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, dang, why? God, come on, man, like, answer this kid's prayer. I believe in you. He'd believe in you if you'd give him a Nintendo. And he goes, I also asked God for red eyes. And I said, that's easy. God's not going to give you red eyes. Those demons have red eyes. So now the Nintendo one, I can't answer that. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. The red eyes, I got gotcha. you. And my teacher was overhearing this conversation. She's like, yeah, go, Robert. They called me Robert. Go, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Because she couldn't talk to him about these things, but I could, you know. But, but I, couldn't, I couldn't really answer. I'm like, well, I'll pray for you to get a Nintendo. Maybe God will hear me. But here's the thing. Sometimes we ask for things not recognizing that God will ask about our asking. So just because you throw a prayer out there doesn't necessarily mean that now God's obligated because here's the point. There's two ways we can go, and as we close, why should we pray? There's, this, this is the question because there's two extremes. One is that we can uh, believe that we force God into some sort of obligation as if, if I prayed, I threw it out there. Now you've got to answer me or you're not real. That's one way that we can incorrectly approach prayer. 
The other way is to approach it as saying, God is so sovereign that everything is determined and there's no point in praying because he knows everything and whatever he wills is going to happen anyways. Those are two incorrect extremes. I'm going to close and I'm already 42 seconds over, so I'm going to be quick. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? Well, I think first and foremost, prayer changes us. It may change our circumstances, but more likely it will change us and our ability to see our circumstances clearly for what they are. Because it enables us to see. I believe it enables us to have an eternal perspective. It helps us see God clearly, eternity clearly, our needs, and God's provision. So God looks at us and says, I want you to pray for me, uh, pray to me. I want you to ask from me. Like you see that in Scripture. God wants that communion, and part of it is not, not, not to get God and twist his arm so that he does what we want. We say, God, I've been thinking, I've been thinking real hard, and i got this great plan, and I wanted to tell you about it, because you've got a role to play in this, and I want you, I want you to understand your role. So I'm going to clearly articulate what I want you to do. And God's like, what? No, no, let me, let me, get, let me, let me show you how this works. You pray to me because I've already got the plan, and you don't really know much. And by the way, your heart's messed up, and you're praying for wrong things because you're a sinner. <laughs> but here's the thing. Keep coming to me. Keep talking to me. Keep praying to me because I hear you, and I love you, and I want to bless you. Because what God is concerned with is our good and his glory, and our prayers are a part of that process. So why pray? Because it changes us. It may change our circumstances. That's true. It can happen. We pray as if God can and will change. When I pray for someone to be saved, I don't pray as if God doesn't have any control of that. I pray as if he does have influence into drawing people. Pray as if it will change something. But also, prayer sanctifies us. Prayer kills sin. Remember, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will be killing sin, or sin will be choking out prayer. And then last, prayer helps us know God as he checks up on us and exposes our true desires, leading us into a deeper knowledge of him and who we are in him. So with that, we'll close this morning. But I want you to think about prayer in a different way, perhaps. That prayer is not simply telling God something he doesn't already know. Prayer is not getting God to come along with your plan. Prayer is you continually communicating with him pausing to listen, looking for him to answer and even possibly change your heart during that process, during the meantime, refining you so that our wills align with his wills. Our character becomes more like Christ. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, for your 